If you didn't open with Drew, go ahead and open to Genesis chapter 41. We're going to be spending our time tonight in the last section of Genesis chapter 41. If you're visiting tonight, we're glad you're here. We've been walking through the life of Joseph on our Sunday nights this fall. It's been a good study, uh, good just to walk through one of these lives that God has told us about. He put, them, put these in there for all of us, not just for kids to study in Bible classes. Um, so it's good for us to walk through and do some Bible reading together, do some study together. I hope you're enjoying the study. We're using Charles Swindoll's book on Joseph as a resource. And um, this is one tonight that if I, I'm not going the direction he goes in the chapter, but if I hadn't seen his chapter, I probably would have done it differently. And here's why. He took a chapter just to pause at this moment. If you've been with us, you saw Joseph, we've seen Joseph get sold into slavery, be there in Potiphar's household, be unfairly accused, be put in prison, be forgotten in prison. And then last week, in a day Joseph would have never forgotten, everything comes together. He's there in the prison. Uh, all of a sudden, the people come in, we imagine, and take him off and say, you got to shave and you got to change clothes. You're going to meet Pharaoh. And whether he knew what it was all about or not, all of a sudden he finds himself talking to the most powerful man in the whole world and being told that he's had dreams. Uh, I hear you can interpret dreams. You remember Joseph said, well, I can't, but God can, and God will give you a good interpretation. And so he tells Pharaoh about the dreams and how there was going to be seven years of wonderful harvest and then seven years of famine. And so we need to be saving up. And before Joseph knew it, he had been appointed to be the second person in all of Egypt. The Bible doesn't say a whole lot. We're going to look at it tonight. But it doesn't say a whole lot about those next seven, eight years. But these were a special seven, eight years in Joseph's life. And if I hadn't noticed that Swindoll has a chapter, just to pause and think about these seven to eight years, I think I probably would have rushed on to what we find with Joseph's family. If you know the whole story, uh, Joseph's family, his brothers, are going to appear in Egypt. We'll get to see that next Sunday night. But, or actually, we'll have a singing night next Sunday night. We'll, do that, we'll see that in our next study, whenever we do our next study on Joseph again. But I think I would have rushed ahead uh, if I hadn't seen his chapter. And I think it's worth pausing, because this is a special time in his life. And here's what I've called it tonight, Joseph's New World. Uh, this was not only a special seven, eight years, this was an entirely new world for Joseph. And here's who I think we're meeting tonight. We're meeting successful Joseph for the first time. We've seen favorite son Joseph. We've seen life has been unfair and I've been sold into slavery, Joseph. We've seen life has been unfair again, I'm in prison, Joseph. We've seen people forgot me, life's unfair again, and I'm still in prison, Joseph. We haven't seen successful Joseph. And there's a lot of questions up in the air on that, aren't there? Because it, you've probably seen somebody in your life who you knew at a point before they were successful, before they had money or did well or got popular or something, and you saw the change. And it wasn't a good change. You saw the change that happened from someone who maybe had been a friend but then had so much success, they felt like they were owed a little bit more than everybody else. And you should treat them a little different than everybody else. And expecting others to treat them a little different than everybody else. We all seen people that success has not been good for them. Not because it wasn't a good blessing from God, but because they didn't handle the blessing from God the right way. In fact, if you were following along in Proverbs 30 just a second ago, 
Uh, Proverbs 30 is one of the more unique chapters in Proverbs. It's said to be written by a guy named Augur. Don't know anything else about him besides Proverbs chapter 30. We don't know if it's Solomon writing under a different name just to give a just to make a pretend lesson from pretending it's from somebody else. We don't know. We don't know who Augur is. But he says a couple things there. In verses 8 and 9, he says, God, please give me neither poverty nor riches, because if I have riches, I might be tempted to turn against you and think I don't need God. Sometimes that happens. Then later in the chapter, in the 20s somewhere, I should have marked it and written it down. In the 20s somewhere, he says, there's several things that the earth can't hold up under. And he mentions a slave that becomes a king. Why does he have those four? Why does he have right in that list a slave that becomes a king? Sometimes success, when there's a big rise in success, we don't handle it well. One of the people in the Bible who should have been so much more than he was, Solomon, at the height of success, a king could have anything he wanted. The Bible says he was so wealthy that silver wasn't even worth anything in Jerusalem in those days. They had so much gold, didn't need silver. He'd throw it on the side of the road. Um, he was so successful. What does he do? He begins marrying all these foreign wives. He begins letting their gods become part of his uh, city in Jerusalem, part of his rule. Soon his heart is turned away from God. We don't always handle success well. How would Joseph handle being the second most powerful person in Egypt? Because that's what he is, if you remember. This is what Pharaoh told him last week. You shall be over my house. According to your command, all my people shall do homage. People are going to be bowing down to you, Joseph. Boy, you've suffered a long time, but you're in charge now. You do what you want. Only in the throne will I be greater to you. I put you over all the land of Egypt, Pharaoh says. Remember, he took off his ring, that ring that would stamp official laws, that ring that symbolized power, and he put it on Joseph's hand. He put garments of fine linen on Joseph, much nicer than even that wonderful coat of many colors he'd had as a teenager. He put a gold necklace around his neck, and then what did he do? He rode him out in the second chariot through the streets. He said, I want everyone to bow down, bow the knee to Joseph. You think that would go to your head a little bit? If all of a sudden you were, you were held up before the whole country, everyone bow down to this person, I think most of us would have a bad spiritual change if we weren't ready for it. Joseph's not ready for this. It's not like he knew this was coming. It's not like he's been planning and praying, God, keep me humble when I'm made second in all of Egypt. He has no clue that any of this is going to happen. How is he going to handle, as Pharaoh says, without your permission, no one shall raise his hand or foot in all the land of Egypt. So let's meet successful Joseph tonight. And I've got four things. You can see they're on the outline. Three of them were new, part of Joseph's new world. One of them, thankfully, stays the same. First one is new names, new names in Joseph's life. A new Egyptian name for Joseph. I didn't try to pronounce it last week. I'll do my best this week. Pharaoh gives Joseph an Egyptian name. If you remember years later, Daniel and his friends, uh, his friends who uh, had Hebrew names but were renamed Babylonian names, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Daniel was also given a Babylonian name. This is a typical thing to do. You're in a new culture, you get a, you get a new name. And so Joseph is called Zephinath Paneah. I wish I could tell you what that means. A couple reasons I can't. I don't know Egyptian, number one. Number two, no one else seems to know what this means. I've seen some guesses this last week. I don't know that any of them, the only guesses I saw were sort of stretches. I don't know that anybody knows what it means, but this is his Egyptian name. Here's what that reminds me of. 
Joseph had to learn a whole new language when he was carried off by those Midianites to Egypt. I hadn't thought about that, I don't think, until I did this study again. Uh, in fact, we'll see here in a couple weeks, Joseph speaks through an interpreter when his brothers come. So he speaks Egyptian, he speaks it well. In, he must have at some point in Potiphar's household learned the language well enough to lead in Egyptian because he's put in charge of all of Potiphar's household, you remember. And so he gets this Egyptian name, and that's how he would be known, perhaps, as he rode through the streets in the second chariot. They probably didn't say, bow the knee to Joseph. They probably said, bow the knee to Zephinath Pania, which doesn't roll off the tongue quite as well to me, but that's probably what they did in their Egyptian language. Also, another new, la- new name in Joseph's life is his wife. We don't know a lot about her. We know they'll have two sons together. But Asenath, who is the daughter of a priest, I don't know if that means she's a preacher's kid, but maybe she's as close as they had back in the Egyptian days. So poor Joseph had to deal with a preacher's kid, perhaps. But uh, if they had the type of marriage, we'd like to hope that they had. I imagine some nights of them just talking about what all Joseph had been through. And again, this is a culture that's different than ours, right? We're, we're sort of floating around. You sort of pick who you want to marry, and you, you date for a while, and then you decide, do we want to get married? And okay, we want to get married, so we get married. Uh, this, this seems to be a semi-arranged, at least, marriage. I remember Robert Brown years ago telling me the story that he and Peggy had run into a couple, I think, from India, and they had been married 40, 50 years, and they'd had an arranged marriage, and, and Robert asked them uh, in a typically Robert friendship way of interest in people's lives. He said, so how have you stayed together so long through, a, through an arranged marriage? And their answer was interesting, and it, that's why it stuck with me. They said, you Americans get married because you love each other. We love each other because we're married. That was just an interesting view of how they looked at marriage, which maybe our entire culture did perhaps a generation or two ago, which is if you're, you're married, boy, you're in, it, you're in it together. You're in it together no matter what. And that's how they looked at it. And perhaps that's how it was here in Egypt. I don't, I don't know enough about the moral compass of Egypt back in those days. But they're married. We'd like to think that they, they were close and, and that Joseph got to tell her all about his past life. I wonder if, if her mind was blown when she heard about all the stuff that had happened to him. Are you serious? Are you serious? And now here you are in the position you're at. Now let's look at those two sons, those new names that would become big names through the rest of the Old Testament. In fact, these two sons would be special sons. And here's why, and I hope this makes sense. I'll do my best with it. The 12 sons of Jacob. Remember, Joseph's father is Jacob. These 12 sons would become the 12 tribes of Israel. Joseph's one of them. But Joseph's two sons would both be two of those 12 tribes. Well, how does that fit? Because that would make 14, right? Well, here's the way they did it in the Old Testament. And if you want to argue with God about it when you get there, you can argue with God about it. But Joseph himself did not count as one of the tribes. His sons would count as two. And Levi would be taken out and become the priestly tribe. So it would not technically count as one of the 12. So these two sons, you read through your Old Testament, Manasseh and Ephraim, would become two of the 12 tribes of Israel. And if that doesn't make sense to you, I apologize for that. We'll talk about the 12 tribes another time. I say that to say these are special sons that are born here in Egypt to Joseph and Asenath. It says, before the year of famine came, two sons were born to Joseph. 
whom Asenath, the daughter of Potiphar, a priest of On, bore to him. So they were married about seven years. Remember, there were going to be seven years of plenty and then seven years of famine. They're married about seven years before they have kids. And in that seventh year, they have two sons. The first one is named Manasseh. For, he said, God has made me forget all my trouble and all my father's household. A lot of times in the Bible, they gave names based on meanings. Most of us didn't do that. Perhaps you did. Perhaps you named your kids based on a meaning, a place in your life, or, or a meaning behind a name that you thought was special. Um, I don't think we did that. We, we sort of picked a name we liked, and it sounded good, and then we tried to pick a middle name that sort of sounded good with it. So we, we were not near as thoughtful as Joseph was. But Joseph said, I'm going to name him Manasseh because God has made me forget. What does that mean? Well, Manasseh means making to forget. In other words, as this child was born seven years into success, Joseph said, God has blessed me. And boy, those 13, 14 years from age 17 to 30, they seem like a long time ago because God's blessed me so much. He was able to look past his own past and he named his son in honor of what God had done through him. And then he has that second son named Ephraim. He says, for God has made me fruitful in the land of my affliction. What does that have to do with anything? Ephraim means fruitfulness. And again, it's a nod toward God. It says, God, thank you. You have blessed me. And I imagine if we could have talked to Joseph, he'd say, God has blessed me beyond my wildest imaginations to have all that I have here after all that I've been through. And so these sons, these special sons, their names were special to Joseph and, uh, and to his wife, no doubt, as well. He's got a new job. And not just a job. Pharaoh has agreed to pin the direction of the country, the economic direction of the country on Joseph's dream interpretation. I've often thought, as it got to year seven, <laughs> Joseph had to have had some mixed thoughts on all this because I'm sure he doesn't want to see a famine. No one wants to see a famine. On the other hand, you told Pharaoh there's going to be a famine next year. And if there's not a famine next year, you're going to be in pretty big trouble. I mean, you've been appointed second in charge of Egypt because you told us there's going to be a famine in year eight. So if I'm Joseph, I'm watching the weather forecast hard as it gets to year eight. You know, I, I want to hear how the crops are doing because I've, I've banked a lot on this. Well, this is his job in those seven years that led up to that. He's 30 years old. He's going throughout all the land of Egypt. And, and so, of course, just as God said, during those seven years, the land brings forth abundantly. There's lots of crops, more than enough. So what does he do? He gathers all the food of those seven years which occurred in the land of Egypt. He put the food in the cities. He placed in every city the food from its own surrounding fields. So he organizes this giant, every city, get from your surrounding fields and store it in your cities. He stored up grain in great abundance like the sand of the sea until he stopped measuring it, for it was beyond measure. Now I wonder how that decision happened. I guess it sounds like at some point he was measuring it for him to stop measuring it. 
So Joseph must have been trying to keep his ledger and keep up with how much we got. And cities, send me in how much you got. And at some point, Joseph just says, I quit measuring all the grain. There's just too much. It's just not even worth trying to keep up with it anymore. We got plenty, maybe what's going on there. He just stops measuring it. And then verses 53 through 57, as things start to turn. When the seven years of plenty which had been in the land of Egypt came to an end, and the seven years of famine began to come, just as Joseph had said, then there was famine in all the lands, but in all the land of Egypt there was bread. So when all the land of Egypt was famished, the people cried out to Pharaoh for bread, and Pharaoh said to all the Egyptians, Go to Joseph. Whatever he says to you, you shall do. And you hear the trust there, don't you? Uh, this, is, this is from the man who's the most powerful person in the world, who we've already seen is not above throwing his cupbearer and his baker in prison and maybe having one of them killed because they did something he didn't like. He trusts Joseph. Go to Joseph. He'll, he'll tell you what to do. So the famine then spreads all over the face of the earth, all over that area. And Joseph opened all the storehouses and sold to the Egyptians. And the famine was severe in the land of Egypt. The people of all the earth came to Egypt to buy grain from Joseph because the famine was severe in all the earth. And what we're going to see is not only did all the nations come to Egypt to buy grain, Egypt gets extremely, extremely wealthy from this. So God giving Joseph that plan would produce amazing financial things for Egypt. But this is what Joseph's doing. Uh, and think about this. His troubles had prepared him for this job. <laughs> if you'd have taken 17-year-old Joseph, who had done little more than tell his brothers where they messed up. <laughs> That's about all he had done at that point. His dad would send him out in the fields, tell me how they're doing, tell me where they're messing up, and he'd come back and do that. And said, Joseph, I want you to organize an Egypt-wide organization to bring the food in and to store the food and then be ready to sell it. I don't know that he'd have done very well. But what has he done in between age 17 and age 30? He slowly grew to the point he was running all of Potiphar's household, whatever that entailed. And then in the prison, he grew to the point where he was running the whole prison. Even as one of the prisoners, he was in charge of everything. It amazes me to think that maybe Joseph had that moment where he was sitting alone at night one night and thought, you know what, I've learned to do all this managing stuff through all that stuff I hated for those 13, 14 years. And wow, God was helping me learn some things through those 13, 14 years. And I wouldn't be able to do this if I hadn't been through all that. Maybe that's part of what helped that bitterness disappear out of Joseph or, or never get there to begin with, perhaps is the better way to say it. For a lot of us, bitterness would have built up. But Joseph sees God's been building some good things in me. And so his troubles had prepared him for that. And that sure makes us think about ourselves, doesn't it? Just the, the ways we can look back and say, I hated that time or that event or that struggle, but God helped build some things there that I sure needed later on. And God, I'm thankful for that. Joseph may have had those same thoughts. Here's the thing that's the same. It's got the same faithfulness. And that makes us smile, makes me smile. 
Because uh, as I said at the beginning, that doesn't always happen. Success doesn't always mean someone continues in faithfulness. It often means they step back from faithfulness. But did you notice some things that we've already read? When Joseph names his kids seven years into his high position, he's got God behind those names. God has helped me forget. God has made me fruitful. It's God that has blessed me. Joseph has not thought, boy, I, I always had this in me. I just needed an opportunity. <laughs> I've always been the smarter one, the best one, the good one. It just needed to have the right breaks. He's saying God has done this. It's not me. It's not my power. It's not my talent. And then that same faithfulness that he had all along the way with Potiphar, with the head of the prison, Pharaoh's got that same trust. Joseph still does things with the same integrity and the same humility, and God's still blessing. Remember that phrase that kept coming up in Pharaoh's household? The Lord was with Joseph. The Lord was with Joseph, so he blessed everything that he did. The Lord is still with Joseph because Joseph's still with the Lord, and God is blessing what he's doing. So the same faithfulness is there in Joseph, uh, a test that many men and women have failed before and since. And since he had that same faithfulness, number four gave him a new opportunity. There's a new usefulness in God's plan that Joseph would not have had otherwise. Joseph is able to do some special things that would not have happened if Joseph had not stayed faithful to God. Lives would be saved through Joseph. All these people... Let me give you just a second to write that down. But all these people in verse 57, from all the earth they come to buy grain from Joseph because the famine is severe. If Egypt had not been saving up for seven years, Egypt would not have grain to buy from, and many of these families perhaps would have died from starvation. Lives are saved because of Joseph. And it just reminds me, none of our blessings are just for us, are they? Joseph has been blessed with an amazing position, amazing responsibility. Beyond his wildest imagination, God has blessed him. But his blessings weren't just for him. Because he stayed faithful, God could use him to bless other people. And all these nations are going to come. In fact, his own family is going to be saved because he was faithful and he's able to be a blessing I've told you before in this series, in fact, how much I've loved what God tells Abraham in Genesis 12. You're going to be blessed and you're going to be a blessing to other people. That's about as good as you can get. I'm going to bless you. Not only that, you're going to be a channel through which other people will be blessed by God because you'll be showing the faithfulness and you'll be showing the type of life that God wants to pour blessings through because you'll pour them on other people as well. That's Joseph. He's blessed and He's a blessing. As we receive our blessings from God, let's have that same mentality in our minds. It's for me, yes, and I should be thankful for it, but it's not just for me, whatever those blessings are. Our blessings are always to be received with thankfulness and then to be passed along to others. When it's forgiveness, we pass along forgiveness. When it's kindness, we pass along kindness. When it's resources, we pass along resources. God wants to use us as channels to bless other people. There's a faithfulness that takes for that to happen. And Joseph doesn't surprise us, but Joseph had it. So all the wonderful things that God has done in Joseph, he's still got that same faithfulness. And because of that, people's lives would be saved, including, we'll see next time, his own family is going to be saved. 
I want us to end tonight with a New Testament echo, and it's from Paul. And it's a mentality Paul had that Joseph had. You see it in the way he named his kids. He names Manasseh, God has made me to forget all the trouble I've had. He names Ephraim, God has made me fruitful. He's able to move past all that stuff that's happened, all the meanness and the cruelty and the the people that forgot him and mistreated him. He's able to move past all that and say, God has helped me forget it and he has blessed me. Are we able to do that? That's a challenge. It's a challenge to, to take that list of people that I hope we haven't really made, but that list of people in our lives that have mistreated us or let us down or, or held us back for whatever, in whatever ways, and to be able to move past that and to forget it and to say, God has still blessed me and I'm going to keep moving forward for the Lord. Philippians chapter 3, verses 12 through 14 is the passage. It's my wife Erin's favorite passage of Scripture. I've heard her say that many times. But Paul says this, Not that I've already obtained it or have already become perfect, but I press on so that I may lay hold of that for which I was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet, but one thing I do. Notice the single-minded focus of that phrase. One thing I do. Forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. I'm able to forget, what does he say? To forget what lies behind. The the failures, the struggles, the mistreatments, the frustrations. I'm able to forget that and say, God has blessed me. And so I'm going to push forward. That's what Joseph was able to do. Because of that, he was that channel of blessing. We've got to be able to do the same thing if we want to be the channel of blessing God wants us to be. Tonight, that purpose you see right there in Philippians 3, that's the type of missional purpose the Christian life is able to have because God has something great for His people. If you're not a Christian tonight, Become a Christian. Let Jesus Christ wash your sins away in the waters of baptism. Come in faith. Come ready to give your life to Him. God will help you forget all the stuff of your past because He's going to forget all the stuff of your past and let you move forward in a fruitful, blessed life, spiritual life that's growing in Christ with His church and on the road toward heaven. It's the the best life possible. It's only found in Jesus Christ. Tonight, if you're ready to become a Christian, we'd love to see you baptized into Jesus Christ. Let us know that. If you're here and you'd like us to pray for you for any reason, we'd love to do that as well. If we can help you in any way, you're invited to come to the front now while we stand and while we sing. Amen.